Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. It's wonderful to be able to share with you today as we're continuing our message series on being empowered by the Holy Spirit and particularly focusing today on how one of the character traits of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom, that God uses the Holy Spirit to provide us wisdom. And as you know, wisdom is often that thing which you realize you need right after you needed it. Right, And and when you actually acquire it, it's such a blessing. As many of you have been involved in Mission Blitz this week, and my family came yesterday morning to the crop drop. I think we had like 38,000 pounds of potatoes, and we're putting them in bags. And, you know, the best way for us to fight global warming would be to have a crop drop every weekend. Because apparently whenever we have it, the temperature drops. I mean, we just, we, we never get like nice warm weather for our crop drops. And that's particularly a challenge for me because one of the things about me and one of the things, a trait that my wife and I share is we don't winter well. Um, my hands and feet get cold sometime in October and they warm up sometime in June. You know, we, we, and every year we go to these cold crop drops and I'm so excited to be there and to just see everybody working hard to bless others. And it's just really fun for the first 15 minutes. And then I get cold and I'm thinking, how quick can we get these potatoes done? Well, and every year it seems I add a layer of clothing. And, and so, so this year I got up and I got up extra early and I went and I put my warm socks on and then I put another pair of socks over them. And then I, I put like my tights on and I was like, no. I went back and I put on like my long handles that are rated for like negative, to deer hunt in negative 20. And I put them on. And then I thought, surely I'm going to burn up. But I put my warmest pants over those. And then I went and I got a hoodie. And I took the hoodie off. And I went back and I got my warmest hoodie. And I put that hoodie on. And I went and I got gloves. And I've learned I can't use my ski gloves uh, because you can't hold potatoes in them. Uh, So I get my smaller gloves, but I get hot hands, right? to to go inside my gloves and and then I I put a big coat on and then I go to put my shoes on and I put my tennis shoes on then I take my tennis shoes off because tennis shoes are breathable and and I put my big old boots on and after that I I put my heavy, heavy jacket on and I went and the funny thing was after an an hour and a half I was having a good time and I didn't want to have to leave when we had to leave. And I went home and I wrote down what I put on. (laughs) And I thought to myself, Will, it's taken you eight years, but you've become wise, right? You've become wise. Wisdom is is that thing that, that we can acquire even though it's tough. One of the wisest things I've learned, I want to take a moment before we dig into the scriptures about wisdom today. One of the wisest things I've learned in my life is the importance of saying thank you. Uh, 
And I need to just take an extra moment this morning to say thank you to you as a congregation, as a church, for the tremendous ways you're blessing, you're loving one another and blessing our community uh, with your faithfulness and your generosity. Uh, This past year, 2022, was one of, of the past 20 years, it was one of the three most difficult years nationally for churches when it came to finances. 2008 uh, was tough for churches. Uh, 2020 with the pandemic was tough for churches. This year with inflation was tough for churches because families who give generously found that their grocery bills went up three and four hundred dollars a month and that makes a difference in uh, your monthly finances. It makes a difference in your ability to give Uh, and we decided we wanted to weather this year without pulling back on ministry. We communicated that to you. We asked you to pray about what God was leading you to do. You responded with such amazing generosity that this year in one of the three most difficult years in the last 20, we had the best December we've ever had in our history by a lot, not by a little, and we finished with a positive balance for ministry, and we are so thankful to you for that. We know that took sacrifice. We know that uh, took faithfulness and discernment and prayer, uh, and we are thankful. Also want to share with you, we are on strong footing as we head into this year. It's our tradition here at the church that those who are members of the church that we will consider making a pledge or a commitment for the, the coming year to help the church plan responsibly for ministry. Uh, we've challenged that to, to continue with our ministries. Uh, we think... Uh, we need to have 300 pledges for 1.7 million for the coming year to help us love one another, reach out to our community. Uh, and some of you I know have been waiting for the new year to begin to, to make your pledge. Uh, we are so close. We are, so, we are at 275 pledges for 1.668 million. Uh, we're so close. We need a few more thousand and 25 more, more pledges. I think we can do that by next week. I want to celebrate reaching that goal by, by, by next week. If you haven't done that yet, would you consider doing that at concordunited.org slash give? Or you can get a commitment card in the lobby, put it in one of the offering boxes. Let, let's celebrate that that next week uh, as we also celebrate Mission Sunday. And speaking of missions, this week is our Mission Blitz. As of this morning, uh, and if you're not familiar with Mission Blitz, if you're visiting with us, Mission Blitz weekend is when our church goes out and just showers the Knoxville community with love. We have 24 different projects around our community uh, that are designed to care for others and bless others. It takes over 600 volunteers to do this. As of this morning, uh, we're Uh, We have done nine of the 24 projects and we have had 261 volunteers help. So we are well on our way. Things are are going great. If you want a quick way you can help, uh, you'll notice there are cards in the lobby. Those are for our first responders. We want to take those to our our firefighters, uh, our uh, police officers, to our uh, EMTs. Uh, if you would sign those, and they're going to go along with care packages, but that, that would mean a lot if you could take a moment on, on your way out of worship today. And thank you for all of those who have volunteered, uh, who, who will volunteer. Uh, w- wisdom. Wisdom. How, how do we find wisdom in life? Uh, you know, one of the wisest people I've ever met is my father-in-law, Steve. Uh, Steve. Steve doesn't have a 
PhD, he didn't have that opportunity to pursue his education, doesn't have a, a graduate degree, got to go to college for a couple of years, and, and then uh, the draft happened, and it was Vietnam, and uh, you know, he, he didn't have all the educational opportunities some, some people had, but he's one of the wisest people I know. One of the things uh, I learned from Steve is uh, how to get people to laugh at a joke, whether it's funny or not. Here, here's what Steve does. He tells you a joke and as he tells you the punchline, he slaps you on the shoulder and he starts laughing really loud. And the only socially appropriate thing to do is to laugh with him. I've seen him do this to people in countries where they don't speak English and the people laugh, right? Because that's just how you do it. I also saw with Steve that uh, I noticed when, when I started hanging around his family, every time I was with them, he would find a time when it was just kind of he and I and he would say, how's your mama doing? How's your daddy doing? How's your sister doing? He'd always ask about them with, without fail. He wouldn't do it first thing. He'd just always find a, a way to, to ask about them. And I began to think about like, how much that meant to me. How it made me feel like his only concern wasn't if I would fit into his family. He really, was, he really cared about me. He was concerned about my family uh, too. And then uh, he lives in a town where he grew up and he knows a, a lot of the people in that town. And when I'd go around town with him, he'd see people. How's your mama? How's your daddy? How's, how's your aunt? And I, I went up to him one time and I, I'd thought through, you know, I said, I just noticed you, you always ask people about their families. And he could have given me a lecture on the difference it makes to ask about people's families, on all the ways it makes feel, people feel cared about and helps you develop relationships with people. But you know, you know what he said? He goes, I find people appreciate it. It's wisdom. He, he'd learned wisdom. And the question is, how, how can we learn that, that wisdom in, in, in our lives? Well, you won't just get it uh, by um, living. You, you, ha you have... You have to put yourself in the position to receive it. And one of the best ways we do that every day is uh, reading our Bibles and praying every day. Because God has wisdom that turns the wisdom of this world on its head. Uh, that, that turns it upside down and shows us what life is really about. And I want to encourage you to begin each day seeking that. If you're not already reading the Bible and praying every day, uh, please consider picking up our January Bible reading plan. It's going to go right along with this message series. Uh, you can uh, find a printed copy at our information center in the lobby. Uh, you can find it online at concordunited.org Bible. There at that URL, you can also find uh, a daily devotion that's going to help you dig deeper into the scripture and give you a prayer focus focus for the day. That daily devotion you can get on email or on podcast. So would really encourage you that, that I think that's one of the wisest ways you, you can start your day because we need this wisdom from God. Uh, we, uh, we don't just need to uh, take uh, what we see in our culture and, and call it wisdom. Uh, God can provide wisdom and wisdom is something that uh, if we go without, our lives and our communities become impoverished. Uh, a lot of times we mistake uh, common sense or book smarts for wisdom, but they're different things. Common sense teaches you how to do something. Book smarts teach you why, but wisdom, wisdom teaches you what it means. What, what, what this life, what, what you're doing actually, for instance, common sense teaches you how to 
change the oil in a car. Common sense teaches you that when you're up under a car, that you better be sure that bolt goes to the oil pan before you take it out. Because if you take that bolt out and you have red antifreeze all over you, it's not going to be fun. Common sense teaches you that before you get up under that car, uh, you should have yourself uh, an, uh, an oil filter wrench. Because your hands are probably greasy and if, if you can't turn that air filter, that oil filter, it's not going to be fun. You should probably have the tools you need uh, to do the job. Common sense teaches you how to get it done. Uh, book smarts teach you why. If you read enough books on cars, you'll know the different parts of the engine that that oil lubricates. And you'll know that not only does it uh, lubricate the engine, uh, which keeps the engine cool enough to function, uh, but that as it does, it removes dirt from the engine. And that's why you have to change your oil. That's why you can't just keep it in there because it's going to get dirty because it's doing its job. That's book smarts. But if you're wise, you recognize why you do all that. Because transportation is the second largest expense of most Americans and the highest uh, expense in their transportation budget is their car and the average car uh, if it's lucky goes about 200,000 miles but there are cars that people have kept up well that have gone three million and that makes a difference my kids right now are terrified about what cars they're going to get to drive <laughs> when they're 16 and, and, and 17 uh, but wisdom teaches us what it means. And if we don't look to God, we'll never realize what this life really means. <laughs> we might understand how to take care of our cars, but we'll never really get what this life really means. So I want us to turn to the scriptures and begin in the Old Testament today. King Solomon was known as the wisest person, the wisest king in, in the Old Testament. And we want to look to him to, to learn how we can acquire wisdom. So uh, we're looking at 1 Kings. We're going to begin in chapter 3 with verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given to him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I'm only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people so whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous that they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people to be able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you and no one like you shall arise after you. This is all uh, what God uh, promised him. And look at what God says to him. God says, because you haven't asked just for long life, good health, riches, or victory over your enemies. 
but because you have asked for wisdom, I will give it to you. Wisdom can only be acquired by those who seek it. Wisdom doesn't magically happen to you when you reach a certain age. You might go through life thinking that people about a decade or two decades over older than you are just wise. That's not the case. Some of them are, some of them aren't. You don't get wisdom just by living. You get it by seeking it. Because Solomon sought wisdom, uh, because he sought uh, wisdom rather than wealth, uh, because he sought goodness rather than the good things of life, because he sought to know God's purpose uh, rather uh, than to defeat his enemies, God says, I will grant you wisdom because you're seeking to acquire it. We must seek it. The same people can live externally, largely similar lives uh, where they have a fairly similar level of triumphs and tragedies and one person can end up wise and filled with peace and the other can end up jaded and filled with resentment because one sought wisdom and the other sought to get ahead. Uh, one uh, sought how to be wise and the other sought how to just make it through. You only get wisdom if you seek it. And it's important that we learn how we can seek this wisdom. We uh, find uh, that King Solomon gave us a great example. Doesn't mean he was completely wise in all things. Don't we wish that Solomon had gone back and not only said, I don't ask for wealth, but by the way, God, can you help me with women? Uh, because if you know his story, he had a problem. And it was a problem for him and it was a problem for his country. And yet even so, uh, he's still an example to us of, of wisdom and of our need to not think that we've suddenly arrived because what happened with Solomon was he got so much wisdom and he became proud of it. And he began to think it was his own rather than a, a gift from God. And so years later, along comes a, a Jewish prophet, a rabbi, a teacher named Jesus of Nazareth. And this man began to provide the world with wisdom that was exponentially greater than even what they had seen in Solomon. Much of what today we call common sense didn't exist before Jesus. And the fact that today we think of it as common sense is only because of the effect that Jesus has had on our world and has had on through his followers. Many people who don't even claim the name of Christian would claim much of Jesus' teachings as, as truth and they would never know they originally came from Jesus. Think about universal human rights. Who wouldn't believe in universal human rights? We believe they're self-evident. They weren't self-evident before Jesus. They're not self-evident in the theory of evolution. There's no universal human rights stipulation in survival of the fittest. But along came this man. And this man who was a Jew, who talked about the good Samaritan, even though Samaritans were the enemy, who cared for Gentiles and Romans, even though Romans were the oppressors, uh, who had female and male disciples in a world where only males were supposed to have access to the higher levels of religion and discipleship. Uh, this man who looked at thieves being crucified beside him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise to one of them. 
Uh, This man who lifted up the poor, the forgotten, the oppressed, the marginalized. There was no such thing as every life being sacred, uh, every life being equal before Jesus. The extent to which we believe that and take it for common sense today is the extent to which Jesus has had an impact on our world. It was not shared by any major people groups before Jesus. And now it is given at least verbal assent to by most people groups in our world. How do we learn that kind of wisdom, that kind of religion wisdom that turns the world upside down and transforms it more and more into the kingdom of God? Well, one of Jesus' early followers, the Apostle Paul, wrote about how we receive that wisdom and the role of the Holy Spirit within it. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, fairly early on in the letter, in chapter 2, he says these words, beginning with verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, uh, that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. We find uh, that the Holy Spirit provides wisdom. No library can contain, no computer can process, no professor can explain. It's wisdom on a different level. It's the Holy Spirit. We might be able to read about Jesus' teachings uh, about compassion, about caring for others. But it's often the Holy Spirit that nudges us and says, go talk to that person. Go, go check on them. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us to help us pay attention. That sometimes uh, when we get a funny feeling in our stomach, it's God talking to us. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that wakes us up at night after a dream and says, was that God? Is is God calling me? I can't tell you how many people I talk to. And whether they're coming to volunteer at the church or applying for a job at the church, they come and uh, what, what they say is that I've known I was called to do this since I was 18 years old. I, I heard God tell me in prayer, but I was scared to tell anybody. And I didn't talk to anybody about it. And now I'm, I'm coming to step out on faith and do it. I think many more of us have callings from God on our lives like that than admit it. A lot of times when that Holy Spirit nudges us, because it's the Holy Spirit, it's so different and more powerful and so different from what we might have thought that we step back from it. And we're scared to tell anybody about it because we're scared they might think we're crazy or uh, we're scared that they would say, well, God couldn't use you like that. You're not, you're not good enough for that. So... So sometimes we run from it or sometimes we have other things in life, other callings we need to pursue uh, before we can ultimately pursue that calling. But, but it's that Holy Spirit that guides us in life about what we're here to do, about the difference that only we can make in our families, in our community, in our churches, uh, in our professions, wherever it may be. And there's something you need to know about the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. The wisdom of the Holy Spirit, if you follow the Holy Spirit, I can't guarantee you'll get ahead in life. Uh, But what I I can guarantee is that you'll live a life you're proud of because the wisdom that the Holy Spirit provides always leads to the truth that sets us free. 
always leads to the truth that sets us free. That's where it will lead you if it's from the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we wrestle with in this world, and particularly we're wrestling with this week as we remember and celebrate uh, the ministry and the impact of Dr. Martin Luther King this weekend, is how do we deal with inequalities? What does wisdom tell us about a world where we believe in universal human rights and we, we see a society filled with inequalities? The first thing we should remember as we celebrate MLK weekend is that it's not just Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it's Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was a pastor first. His commitment to civil rights didn't come out of a secular belief in human dignity. It came out of a theological foundation in Jesus Christ that taught him all people were created equally and should be treated as such. It also forces us, if, when we encounter inequalities, uh, to learn to look and to look deeply because what our world does is when we see inequalities, it takes different groups uh, and we begin saying, my, my oppression is worse than your oppression and we must worry about this and not that. And there's Jesus who opens his arms to all. We, we've got to learn to see the pain and the struggle of all and care about the pain and the struggle of all, not just those who look like us, not just those whose pain we can easily relate to, but uh, to take that example of Jesus, to learn that uh, two things can be true at the same time when it comes to inequality. For instance, think about the Old Testament. If I was to tell you that in Old Testament life, society was dominated by men who controlled with a virtually unpenetrable glass ceiling. How many would agree with that? And if you did, you'd be right. The only women who rose above that glass ceiling were the exceptions who proved the rule in the, in the Old Testament. But what if I was to tell you that in Old Testament life, the average woman had a better life than the average man. Would you think that was true? Well, it is. Let's, how, how can two things be true at the same time? Well, in the Old Testament, society was dominated by the top 20% of men. Because there was polygamy, the top 20% of men were able to marry, they had vast amounts of land and resources, and they had four, five, six, seven wives. In Solomon's case, 300, which was about 299 too many. Um, but they had all these wives, right? And they, they controlled everything. And they were at the top. And by the very nature of that system, they were oppressive to those below them. Let's look at women in that society. They had no chance to rise above that glass ceiling. But most likely, they had a very good chance of being married to a fairly powerful man uh, who would provide them the ability to raise a family. They had a decent chance of even having servants uh, to help them and uh, of uh, having their basic needs met and being able to, to raise their children with the resources to do so. It, it, it wasn't perfect. It had a lot of problems. Then let's look at the bottom 80% of men. They had no chance to be married. The 
the eligible women were already taken by the rich guys who, who had multiple wives. They were going to live in servitude or slavery on the property of the upper 20% of men. They were going to have to fight in the armies of the upper 20% of men in battles that may or may not benefit them. And the only way to rise from the bottom 80% of men who were basically enslaved or in servitude to the upper 20% was often to take incredible uh, risks of their life in order to do so and they do it because what they have to lose two things can be true at, at the same time men dominated society at that time and the average woman had it better than the average man it's we need to learn to look at the pain we all have and we need to learn to have the courage to respond to it it's the same thing today when we look at our society today and we look at inequalities we look in the boardrooms of the Fortune 500 companies and we see that there are a lot of glass ceilings that still need to be smashed to pieces uh, that are still too male-dominated. We can also look into our education system and see uh, that boys are falling behind educationally in every grade level uh, from kindergarten to PhD programs. And when that happens, we have to say, we're not sure why, but we got to do something. Because the letters B-O-Y do not stand for a learning disability. They stand for a gift. And we need to say, we, we've got to address both these things. When we look racially at our world, we need to be able to celebrate how far we've come, but not assume that just because many of our laws have changed, uh, that things are better and that there aren't still savage inequalities that have become even more savage by becoming invisible. I remember growing up, and I remember seeing the test scores of white kids and black kids in my class. And I remember seeing that white kids were scoring higher. And I remember uh, some of my friends saying, that's because we're smarter. Never occurred to me to ask the question, Wonder which kids are more likely to have a mom at home when they get home from school who is financially able to not have to work, who can help them with their homework every single day. I thought of myself as not having much money because we couldn't, I couldn't afford the shoes and, and the jeans and the fancy video games my friends could. It never occurred to me that one of the reasons I couldn't was because uh, my parents used those financial resources uh, that could have been spent there instead to get me extra help and tutoring in areas where, where I struggled. It never occurred to me that there were whole systems in place or that the language in the classroom used was language that I could relate to that was tougher for people of other cultures uh, to, to relate to. Uh, we're all equal. We're, we're just all equal. And if we see an inequality in society, we have to go back and we have to say, we might not understand it. We might not know what to do about it right now, but we're going to do something. We're, we're going to study it until we do. That's one of the things I love about our missions team here at the church. When you look at all these missions that go on with Mission Blitz, one of the things I want you to know is a couple years ago, our missions team did the difficult task of they stepped back and they said, we're going to analyze everything we do as far as does it actually help or does it create further dependency? Does it lift people up and give them dignity or does it keep them in a place of dependence? And so they studied in depth what toxic charity is. Uh, 
And they said, anything we're doing uh, that is going to be toxic for others, that isn't going to, that is only going to provide for the needs of today and not create a better tomorrow, we're going to stop and we're going to redo how, how we do that. Uh, there are lots of things that you see on the news or in the newspaper that get a lot of good publicity that we say no to because we don't think they help long term. And we want to be a part of the, the real solution. And particularly on this Martin Luther King weekend, as we look at what's, what's the real solution on race? It, I mean, we look at how far we've come, but we look at how far we've got to go. And it can be easy to say, is there even a, a real solution? Can, can we even actually get there? Uh, well, I want to tell you, this is one of those areas where two things can be true at the same time. And these are the two things that I'm going to tell you are true about race at the same time. God didn't create race. It's absolutely true. The only thing God created was humanity having the type of skin that could adapt to different climates. That's all God created. God didn't create race. The other truth is that we did and we live in a racialized world. And if you think you don't have a racial identity, you are kidding yourself. Okay, I know that's, that's hard to hold those things together. So here's an easy way for us East Tennesseans to do it, right? right? God didn't create Tennessee with lakes. God didn't create lakes in Tennessee. In fact, there's one lake God created in Tennessee. That's in West Tennessee. And we all know God intended Tennessee to stop at the Cumberland Plateau. So, so in this part of Tennessee, right, God created zero lakes. But we go out and we water ski and we wakeboard and we fish on lakes every day in East Tennessee because TVA created lakes in Tennessee, right? And that used to be pasture land. That used to be a floodplain. It's now, it's now a lake. God didn't create it, but it's there. And you better know it's there or you're going to drown because it's that land that God put as dry land is now underwater. That's the way it is with race. And if we're ever going to get out of the problem we have, we have to understand the problem that we're in. And this can be hard. And we don't have time to, we, we could talk about this uh, all day and we don't have time to dig in as deeply as I wish we could. So I just want to say one thing. Uh, uh, if you are a person of color, when it comes to how we deal with one another racially, you need wisdom. You need a prophetic word from God that convicts you. God, but that is a word that God hasn't inspired me to speak today uh, as a white person. God has simply given me a word for those of us who consider us ourselves white, who've lived within that identity. And that is simply to say that when in America, when we come up as white, we have all kinds of inequalities that we, that we don't see because they're not the part of, of daily conversation that are easy for us to ignore. And when we begin to learn our history, and we begin to learn how our whole conception of race was created uh, largely as a wealth and power grab uh, back in the 14 and 1500s. And we begin to see the way that's been used by white people. We begin to say, is, is there even hope? Is there even hope? Is, is there hope that we could do something that would make a difference? Here's what I want you to know. At each step along the way in history where race was used by white people to oppress, to enslave, to kill, to acquire uh, unjust wealth, 
there were also white people, largely within the church, who were speaking out against it sacrificially. That's as much a part of our history as white people as the slave owners, which my family has some within it. Uh, we, we come from a plantation in Alabama. Uh, the, uh, it's as much a part of our history as those who used it uh, for evil, those who used it for good. When we look at the civil rights movement, the group within the civil rights movement in the 1960s that experienced the highest suicide rate, interestingly enough, was white leaders within the civil rights movement. Why was that? They didn't have a home base. They were rejected by their families and their churches for largely for stepping out and doing so. Uh, and they weren't entirely received into the black community either. So they were trying to do so at great psychological and personal sacrifice. Friends, that's a part of our history, being willing to make great sacrifice uh, to address the inequalities that we see. That's a part of our history we should all take on. And something that we all need to know as Christians, whether it's race or class or nationality or gender or whatever it might be, uh, whatever's keeping us uh, apart from, from one another, uh, whenever we see significant inequality, something we need to recognize is you remember the beautiful passage from the prophets in the Bible where it says, justice will roll down like a mighty water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In the Bible, righteousness means being in right relationship with God. Justice means equality and compassion among people. You can't have one without the other. Now, I'm, I'm not naive. I know we'll never get to complete 100% justice and equality until heaven. But we, we won't be right with God unless we're working to move in that way. So it's time for us as Christians with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to look at that and to look at the political realities and say that it's time for the political right in our country to stop demonizing the word justice. And it's time for the political left to stop smugly assuming that their policies actually lead to it. And it's time for us as Christians to say, we as Christians know what it means to sacrifice. And we know what it means to care about everyone because we worship a savior who did. And we're gonna do just that every day of our lives to make this, the kingdoms of earth, more like the kingdoms of Christ until we live in his perfect kingdom. And the way we're gonna do that is not with our own strength, but with the strength of, from the Holy Spirit, not with our own wisdom, but with the wisdom from the Holy Spirit that tells us that that's what, that's what life is really about, justice and righteousness, so that we might not just live in right relationship with God, but we might also live in right relationship with one another. If, if that's what you'd like to spend your life pursuing, I'd invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Gracious God, we struggle to see how two things can be true at the same time. How can we be such a sinful people that would turn upon each other and kill one another and oppress one another? And how can you love us enough to die for us? Lord, we struggle to see uh, how you can be so good 
and how we can be so far from you. We struggle to see how we can be so unfaithful and yet you can remain faithful. But what we have seen in Jesus Christ, our Lord, is goodness, love, mercy, grace, justice, and righteousness. We have seen that you will not give up on us. We have seen that you loved the oppressed and you loved the oppressor. We have seen uh, that you forgave thieves and you forgave Pharisees. We see that there is a place in your kingdom for Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. And there's a place in your kingdom for us. Speak to us. Send us the wisdom of your Holy Spirit that we might take our place in your kingdom and live for your purposes to the glory of your name forever and ever. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.